Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. The Iron Flute, Case 81. Kote strikes a monk. A monk came from Kasan and bowed to Kote. Fugai, what are you doing? Kote immediately struck the monk. Fugai. The koan is vivid here. The monk said, I came especially to you and paid homage with a bow. Why do you strike me? Fugai, what are you saying? Why do you not bow again? Kote struck the monk again and drove him from the monastery. Fugai, pure gold has a golden sheen. The monk returned to Kasan, his teacher, and related the incident. Fugai, it's a good thing you have someone to talk with. Do you understand or not? asked Kasan. Fugai, what can you do with a dead snake? No, I do not understand, answered the monk. Fugai, good words, but not from you. Fortunately, you do not understand, Kasan continued. If you did, I would be dumbfounded. Fugai, good contrast to Kote's action. Genro's verse. The monk bows and Kote strikes. Fugai, what about if the monk had not bowed and you had not struck? New etiquette for the monastery, Fugai, independent of convention. Not only has Kasan's mouth closed, Fugai, double indemnity. The wheel of Dharma is smashed, Fugai, expressing gratitude. Yogen Senzaki's comment. American Zen is running sideways with people writing books, lecturing, referring to theology, psychology, and whatnot. Someone should stand up and smash the whole thing to pieces. Then true Dharma would be maintained in this land of liberty and righteousness. The fourth day of our Nyogen Senzaki session. And tomorrow, Jukai.
So today we meet Kasson Zenit and Kote. Kasson lived around the same time as Rinzai. He was born in 805 and died in 881. He entered a temple on Mount Ryuge at the age of nine and was ordained in his 20s. And he became a lecture master, but also began doing zazen earnestly. One day, he was giving a lecture and a visiting monk who was listening, started laughing. Zenne had not made a joke. So it was quite upsetting, quite rude. He was disconcerted. He asked, why do you laugh? Because you have no master. You should go to Kate and see the boatman monk. He hasn't a piece of tile to cover his head. Below, he hasn't a gimlet point of earth to stand on. Quite a recommendation. So Zene had been giving lectures, and he had most likely a pretty good theoretical grasp of Buddhism. But something was lacking. What was lacking? What do you think? Hmm? Hmm? Understanding. understanding, true understanding. He didn't have it from his own true being, from his own heart. So he needed someone, as this visiting monk said, he needed a master to challenge him, to push him. And this was, this laughter and comment, this was truly compassionate. Maybe this visitor saw Zene was close, but there was some, some veil separating him from his own experience. How many of you have felt that from time to time? So this visitor was none other than Dogo Enchi, an heir of Yaksan Igen Zenji, and the boatman monk 
was Sensu Tokujo, Dogo's fellow disciple under Yaksan. Hearing this from Dogo, Zenne went to Kate and found the boatman monk plying his skiff on the river. One glance at each other. Complete understanding. Sensu transmitted his dharma to Zene and disappeared. One glance. Was never seen again. So Zene built a small hut on Mount Kasan, which is in present-day Hunan in China. And gradually, students came and built their own huts, and eventually a temple was established for him. And over the years, the severity of his teaching became legendary among Zen Zen monasteries in that period of China, Tang Dynasty. One day a monk asked him, what is the state of Kasan? So, of course, monks uh, who established temples on mountains would take the name of the mountain you know, Joshu saying, so Kasan, Mount Kasan, what is the state of Kasan? So it has some physical meaning, but more profoundly, what does this question ask? Hmm? Right. What is your Zen? Right? What is the state of Kasan? Some of you may know the koan with Joshu. When a monk asked him, What is Joshu? And he answered, The east gate, the west gate the north gate, the south gate. Well, in this case, Kasan answered the monk. A monkey clasping a baby in its arm has returned from beyond the green hill. A bird holding a flower in its beak alights in front of 
her blue cliff. So this poem expressed Kasan's mind. A monkey clasping a baby in its arm has returned from beyond the green hill, coming home, newly born. This monkey with a baby that has returned from beyond those fertile green mountains. And the bird holding a flower in its beak, what does that remind you of? Hmm? When the Buddha held up a flower, right? And Mahakashapa smiled. Alighting in front of the blue cliff. This blue cliff is the name Hekigon. This became the name of the collection uh, that Engo Kokugon put together of 100 koans. The Blue Cliff Record. So, a monk from Kasan's place went to see Kote and bowed. Kote immediately struck the monk. Seemingly well-meaning monk hadn't said or done anything to deserve this strike. Came in, bowed, as was customary. So this case may be troubling to some of you. That's really good. Why? Because only if we are troubled, if we are disturbed, can we be freed up from the complacency that tends to be our default mode in life. Now, the idea of hitting This has some associations, right? Actual hitting may trigger something for people. Now, of course, in Asian countries, especially at that time, and also in Europe, especially in school system, and also in my time, American parents felt that old adage, spare the rod, spoil the child, was perfectly reasonable. How many of you grew up with that? So you understand Well, it's one thing when it feels warranted, 
And it's another when what you feel is complete and total confusion and injustice, right? Then it can be quite searing and have a very strong, long-lasting impact. When I was in second grade, I got my first report card. I couldn't really figure it out. I couldn't decipher what it meant. It was a very complicated system. It had two panels. One side had grades. And... The other side had writing, and Miss Squire, I still remember her very well, my teacher, had written in her tiny, precise, cursive script on this other side. This was uh, a time when I went to school in a little red schoolhouse with... uh, four grades in two rooms with one coal stove. So we all gathered in one of the rooms when it was cold and did our lessons there. Two teachers for the two two rooms, four grades. And uh, a very cold, long outhouse in back. So anyway, I was on the school bus. This is in the country, western New Jersey. And some older kids said, oh, let me see your report card. So I showed it to them. And they were like, oh, wow, this is great. Look at this. You got all A's. Good for you. So when I got home, I proudly showed it to my stepfather and his face got very dark and he whacked me. (gasps) What? I got all A's. Well, it turned out that on the side of the card where she had written, there was a place where you could answer kind of a form. And on this form was the word deportment. And next to deportment, she wrote, whispers too much. So that was my koan. Grades, very good. Disturbing the classroom? Unforgivable. 
So, you know, when we first encounter this koan, we may feel that somehow it's an un, unjust act. And we may feel also that striking brings with it the implication of punishment for being bad. And just as in my case, I had no idea that whispering to a friend was bad. I loved my classes. I loved my reading. I, it was such a pleasure to go to school, get out of the house. But we find this kind of thing happening quite often. And for example, even here at Daibosatsu, we use the keisaku. There are places where that's no longer the case because people have complained, even though it's voluntary, that the sound of the keisaku triggers memories of abuse. Maybe for some of you this is true. But, you know, the primary function of the keisaku do you know what it is? Hmm? To wake you up. Hmm? To stop the mind. To wake you up, to stop the minds wandering. Anyone else? Release. Hmm? Release. Release. Release what? Tension. Tension. Hmm? Invigorate the body. Invigorate the body. So it has all of this. Hmm? Yeah, if you're lucky, it doesn't hit your ear. You know, we have all these associations that are somehow more palatable than being struck, right? Oh, it's going to feel good. My shoulders are stiff. Yeah. What it really means, as you, one of you said, is wake up! Stop your incessant self-indulgence. And even if you don't request it, what happens? The sound alone, when it's used correctly, when it's not thump, thump, it's like, chop, chop. Really? And indeed, awaken. If you are in the right at this, if your zazen is so keen, if not, you're just like, oh, I'm having such a wonderful sitting, and now there's that annoying keisaku going around. When will it ever end? No. Your zazen is really deep. That is all it takes. Well, you might ask, what about compassion? Who is here for Ho'on Session when Yamakawa Roshi spoke about 
that kanji that means weakness. Quite a few of you. Kanji, the character for weakness, is a person sitting and a hand on the shoulder. So he told us, he did a little research on this kanji and he found that this hand on the shoulder, which might imply a kind of there, there, you're fine, is actually pushing down. <laughs> Weakness. So I've really thought about that since his talk. How so often we want to help someone by offering reassurance. We don't want to upset anyone. We're very well-meaning. We want to help. We want to give a hand. And what happens? Why is this the kanji for weakness? It can be a crutch. Dependence can arise. So often we think, oh, I'm very compassionate. What we're doing is anything but. When we're being too soft or too kind, we can take away someone's independent maturation. So we have to ask ourselves, is this really compassionate, my impulse to whatever, or is it fostering dependence? And so these Zen koans, someone may say, well, I don't really like Zen koans because, you know, they're all about people shouting and hitting and uh, doesn't really jibe with what I feel Buddhism is. Right? Maybe you've heard someone say something like that. But this abrupt, unexpected action that is so often present in one koan or another is truly compassionate because it cuts through it cuts through our expectations. It cuts through our assumptions. It cuts through our, oh, my bliss. Joshu's moo is an earthquake. Does a dog have Buddha nature or not? No. What? Has there been anyone here who has felt that what? No, moo is just a, a sound, you know. It doesn't really mean no. It just means, oh, he's encouraging him. No. No! It's really compassionate. 
So it is not from anger that this striking occurs. When it is from anger, and in your experience, you may have, exper- you may have had someone strike you out of anger, it's very different, right? This anger is not what we're talking about. These koans have deep... The actions themselves come from the mind of discernment, the mind that has the compassion that is so, so intense to awaken someone. Why is that important, you may ask. That's okay, don't wake me up, I'm fine. Huh? What is it when we look around and we see suffering everywhere in ourselves, first and foremost? Don't we want to break free of those bonds, that continual round, that cycle over and over again of conditioned reactivity. It takes a lot, doesn't it? Have you noticed? And it comes right back. Well, I think... This is not the way I think it should be. I don't like. I have a better way. Just give me a massage. Forget about the Kesaku. Right? Okay. Nothing wrong with that. But remember, Manjushri. the bodhisattva of wisdom sitting there on the altar to the left of Nyogen Senzaki. What is he holding? A sword. A sword. Who among you has no delusions that need cutting through? Please stand up now. Tokson, who was Kote's teacher. Kote himself we know very little about, only that Tokson was his teacher and he lived obviously in the same period as Kasan. Kote, who struck the monk, had Tokson as his teacher. Does anyone here remember his famous saying? Toksan's famous saying. Well, fear not, I will tell you. <laughs> 30 blows if you can speak. 30 blows if you cannot speak. That covers it. Rinzai relates to this. Of course, you know, Master Rinzai was famous for shouting and hitting 
So in Kamben, uh, chapter 11, The master, Rinzai, heard that Toksan had said, 30 blows if you can speak, 30 blows if you cannot. The master told Rakuho, go to Toksan's place and ask him, why 30 blows to one who can speak? Wait for Toksan to try to hit you, grab his stick, push him away, and see what happens. <laughs> Rakuho went to Toksan's place. He did as instructed. Toksan hit him. Grabbing his stick, Rakuho pushed him away. Toksan returned to his quarters. Rakuho came back and reported what had happened. The master said, For a long time I have held wonder for that fellow. Be that as it may, did you see Toksan? Rakuho was going to say something. The master hit him. How much fun are they having? <laughs> and then we have chapter 14, the same section with Rakuho again. The master asked Rakuho, from olden times, one used the stick, another one shouted, which one is more intimate? Rakuho said, neither. The master asked, what is intimacy? Rakuho shouted. The master hit him. <laughs> so maybe this gives you a hint at what's going on with all this shouting and hitting. What is it? The word intimacy in Zen is probably one of the most important words for our practice to be vivid and authentic. We must taste this for our relationship with a teacher to be true, we must experience this. So, 
many such encounters of intimacy with Rinzai. Uh, uh, chapter 2. The master asked a monk, where are you from? If intimacy is perhaps the most important word in Zen, this question, where are you from, is perhaps the most dangerous. Hmm? Many instances, where are you from? The monk shouted. <clears throat> the master signaled him to sit down. The monk was going to speak. The master hit him. Seeing another monk coming, the master raised his whisk. The monk bowed. The master hit him. Still another monk came. The master raised his whisk. The monk ignored it. The master hit him, too. <laughs> Probably many of you know case 15 in Wumonkan, gateless barrier, Tozan, 60 blows. Tozan came to study with Umon. Umon asked, Where are you from? Tozan did not shout. Instead, he said, From Sato. Where were you during the summer? Give you another chance. Well, I was at the monastery of Holzu, south of the lake. When did you leave there? Umon asked. On August 25th, was Tozan's reply. I give you 60 blows, Umon said. The next day, Tozan came to Umon and said, Yesterday you gave me 60 blows. I beg to ask you, where was I at fault? Oh, you rice bag! shouted Omon. What makes you wander about now west of the river, now south of the lake? At that, Tozan came to a mighty enlightenment experience. So maybe in this case we think, okay, it's justifiable. 60 blows, but it ended up with a good result. And certainly Tozan's replies did imply a wandering mind, right? Now here, now there, and that shout at the end, you ice bath. So these sharp words are very important, as well as a striking. The monk comes
comes from Kasson's place, which, as I said, is renowned for its severity and its fierceness. Maybe the monk was uh, seeking something more palatable. And so he goes to Kote, and he bows, and Kote strikes. And as I said, we may find it difficult to see the compassion in this kind of action, or in someone's strong correction when we're judged harshly. We don't like it. We don't like to be told that we're creating disturbances in the classroom, in the zendo, dharma hall, jisha closet, right? And we certainly don't like to be struck when we have done our best to show how humble we are. Unfortunately, while we're bowing, we may be full of shit. (laughs) And it may be that the person we're bowing to happens to notice that. (laughs) I think it's pretty much... uh, a a widespread phenomenon that we want approval. We don't want rejection. And so we do everything we can to gain that approval and avoid disapproval. And what happens when our lives are like that, when we're led around by the ring in the nose that ring of seeking affirmation, seeking support, seeking encouragement, seeking a compassionate ear, a nice hand on the shoulder. There, there, dear, you're fine. What happens? It's never enough. Who said that? Never enough. I want more. Give me more. I need more approval. Do you love me? It's never enough. There's that inner lack. Nothing can fill it. Except ourselves when we awaken. No one else can do it. All that not always not is it to speak. Not only is it not enough, but it is what that kanji was about, right? Weakness. I'm sure that everybody sitting here has had 
opportunity to see instances where, as we go deeper into our zazen, where we have fallen into this craving, this endless round, never enough. And so this monk doesn't really understand why he's been struck. Maybe his bow has been mere etiquette. Maybe his bow has been informed by a self that is saying, I am bowing. Therefore, Fugai asks, what are you doing? What are you really doing? You think you're bowing? Fugai is always asking these questions and making these comments, so I try to read it in a different tone of voice so you understand it's a comment on the case. But in this first comment, what are you doing? Something is being put on. I am doing. This is what is being struck. The I bowing is what is being struck. And so often we may not realize it, but we learn the forms in this way. This is what I'm supposed to do. Now I've learned how to do it. Isn't that great? This is how I'm supposed to act, and I know now how to act. It's some kind of surface thing. It's rote repetition. But to bow from our whole being, from a mind that has dropped that I. Everything we do to walk in the halls soundlessly, so often we hear, I'm walking in the halls. Everybody doesn't hear it. You say it. Maybe you don't even hear yourself say it, but we can hear the sound of it. walk soundlessly with elegance and grace, not as something put on, but that comes up naturally out of this jaws. To feel the erect carriage as you walk. That is the outer manifestation of the clarity of your mind. To gasho with this same feeling, to sit, to stand, it's very different. Nothing in the way. Whole body mind is bowing. And it has nothing to do with being correct or incorrect. So evidently, Kote could discern this monk's mind immediately. 
he didn't even have to ask, where are you from? Immediately, wham! There's something inauthentic here. And the monk says, justifying himself, I came especially to you, and I paid homage to you with my bow. Why do you strike me? And Fugai comments, what are you saying? First he says, what are you doing? And what are you saying? Why do you not bow again? Maybe there would be hope for you. Bow again. Be struck again. Fail again, as Beckett put it. Fail better. But no. So what happens? Kote did strike the monk again after he asked, Why did you strike me? Wow! And drove him from the monastery. And Fugai says, pure gold has a golden sheen. He admires this Kote action and says it is shiny. Even here we feel it, right? Kote drove him from the monastery in Tang Dynasty, China, Year 20, what is this year? 2019, Daibosatsu Zendo, this shiny gold we can feel. So this driving him out is another of Kote's skillful means Will the monk get it? Well, what does he do? He goes back to Kasan and relates the incident. And Fugai says, it's a good thing you have someone to talk with. It's a good thing you have someone you can whine to. And then Kassan asks, gives him another chance. Kassan asks him, do you understand or not? Fugai's comment, what can you do with a dead snake? Is there any live ember here in this monk? Understand. What, what is this question? Do you understand? It's a very important one. We come upon it again and again. Understand with what faculty? We see it with Bodhidharma and the emperor. Did you understand? No, I did not understand. Understand. 
with the intellect. For many people, that's the only understanding that can be understood. Rational comprehension. Therefore, the monk is at a loss. He says, no, I do not understand. It doesn't compute. This I do not understand. Fuga says, good words, but not from you. This I do not understand if you had any true Zen ability would put you in good company. Such as, huh? Such as, I don't know. Such as, Such as, good words, but not from you. Kasan then said, fortunately, you do not understand. If you did, I would be dumbfounded. This is another strike from Kasan. When Soen Roshi first came to meet with Nyogen Senzaki in 1949, he gave his first talk at the San Francisco Theosophical Society Library. And he spoke about Nangaku, who was visiting Winang, the sixth ancestor, who asked him, who is it who stands before me? Nangaku was dumbfounded and could not answer. And so Anrushi said, nowadays there is no one capable of being dumbfounded like Nangaku. Everyone knows everything and can answer any question. So in this sense, understanding knows everything, can't be, I don't know. If you did understand after everything that you have gotten into with Kote and then with me, I would be dumbfounded. 
So then Genro gives a verse. The monk bows, Kote strikes. New etiquette for the monastery. If not only has Kasan's mouth closed, the wheel of Dharma is smashed. So admiring this Kasan and Kote, expressing their Zen and trying their best to awaken this monk. Yogan Senzaki's comment at the end is a lot like what Son Roshi said. Everyone knows everything and can answer any question. Yogan Senzaki says, American Zen is running sideways with people writing books, lecturing, referring to theology, psychology, and whatnot. This uh, comment was probably made after his interment when he came back to Los Angeles. The Iron Flute itself um, was begun in the translation was begun in 1939 and then he and um, Ruth Strout McCandless started working together and she says I began to collect and compile the scattered manuscripts and soon after was at work with him on new translations Nyogen Senzaki left California in 1942. We know where he went. But continued to send me translations and comments to polish. So all the while he was at Heart Mountain, he was working on this book. On his return in 1945, his students gathered around him and he read his lectures. And as he went through the book during the 40s, he supplied very little comment of his own, but used Genro's and Fugai's more freely. So at this point, case 81 was probably late in the 40s. Uh, this came out in... 50, uh, copyright, 64, so after he passed away, six years later, Ruth Strout McCandless brought this out. So the reason I mentioned about the dates is he's commenting on American Zen in a much more uh, sarcastic vein than what we heard from him yesterday. Hmm? And he's already now been out and about and living in L.A. and seeing that there's a lot of interest in Zen. People are coming to sit with him. People are writing about it. People are having all kinds of ideas about Zen and psychology, etc. So he says, Someone should stand up and smash the whole thing 
to pieces. The wheel of Dharma is smashed, Genro said. How do we smash the whole thing to pieces? This summer, we will have the American Zen Teachers Association here, many of whom have written books, have referred to theology, psychology, and especially whatnot. <laughs> so his final comment, then true dharma would be maintained in this land of liberty and righteousness. You can taste the bitterness and the cutting and incisive clarity of his mind post Heart Mountain. So we have a taste of the spirit of Zen in the form that for many people is not what they would prefer. And as I said in the beginning, that's good. Congratulations. We can break free of that preferential mind and enter into the dangerous territory of liberative techniques. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org donate. Thank you for listening.